This is the RTE News at One with Brian Dobson. Good afternoon. The headlines this lunchtime. The High Court in Belfast has ruled that a UK amnesty law covering cases arising from the Troubles is in breach of the European Convention on Human Rights. More details have emerged of the Garda investigation into the suspected murder of a 64-year-old man at Rialto in Dublin. And John O'Shea has been appointed interim Republic of Ireland football manager for two friendly internationals. The news in detail with Brian Jennings. The High Court in Belfast has ruled that provisions for conditional immunity from prosecution for killings during the Troubles in the British Government's Legacy Act are not compatible with human rights legislation. Our Northern Editor, Vincent Kearney. The most controversial element of the British Government's Legacy Act was the offer of a conditional amnesty. Killers were offered immunity from prosecution if they cooperated with a new commission tasked with gathering information for victims' families. Relatives who took this legal action argued that the legislation breached their rights by denying them the possibility of justice. In a judgment that runs through more than 200 pages, a judge in the High Court in Belfast this morning agreed. Mr Justice Colton said the conditional offer of immunity is a breach of the European Convention on Human Rights. Northern Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris said the British government would take time to assess the complex judgment. Vincent Kearney, RT News, Belfast. Gardaí have arrested a man in connection with the murder of a 64-year-old man at his home in South Dublin City. The body of Michael Whelan was found yesterday afternoon at a flat in a subdivided house on Herberton Road in Rialto. A man in his 30s who knew Mr Whelan is being detained on suspicion of murder at a Dublin Gartha station and can be questioned for up to 24 hours. Our crime correspondent Paul Reynolds. Gardaí were carrying out a welfare check when they called to the home of Michael Whelan at around 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Concerns had been raised after the 64-year-old handyman hadn't been seen for a number of days. His body was discovered in a flat at Herberton Road in a house that had been subdivided. Michael Whelan was the victim of a violent assault and appears to have been stabbed. His body was at the scene for some time and removed today for a post-mortem. Gardaí commenced a murder investigation and this morning detectives arrested a man in his 30s who knew Michael Whelan on suspicion of murder. He is being detained at a Garda station under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act and can be questioned for up to 24 hours. Gardaí say they're following a definite line of inquiry and are not looking for anyone else at present. Paul Reynolds, RTE News, Dublin. A man in his 60s is due before a court in Tralee in County Kerry this afternoon charged in connection with the death of a man last weekend. 84-year-old Paddy O'Mahony was found dead at his home in Castle, Maine. Gardaí were called to the Castle, Maine area on Sunday after the alarm was raised and the house was immediately sealed off. The funeral service of Alexei Navalny will be held at a church in Moscow on Friday. Mr Navalny, an outspoken critic of the Russian President Vladimir Putin, died in prison earlier this month. His widow Yulia addressed the European Parliament this morning, telling MEPs that she holds Mr Putin accountable for her husband's death. She told MEPs that Mr Putin was not an individual with whom it was possible to negotiate. From Strasbourg, here's Tommy Meskel of our political staff. 
During her address, Yulia Navalnaya told MEPs that her late husband would never see the beautiful Russia he sought to help build. She told the European Parliament that President Vladimir Putin cannot be negotiated with and that the EU must be innovative in how it opposes him. She called on the EU to target lawyers and financiers who are helping to hide Russian money. She also described Vladimir Putin as a bloody monster and the leader of a criminal gang. The funeral of her late husband, Alexei Navalny, is scheduled to take place this Friday in southern Moscow. She expressed hope that it would pass off peacefully without interference from Russian police. Tommy Meskel, RTE News, Strasbourg. In sport, John O'Shea has been appointed interim Republic of Ireland football manager for the two friendly international matches against Belgium and Switzerland in March. O'Shea, who won 118 caps for Ireland and is third on the all-time list of appearances, will rejoin the FAI, having previously been an assistant coach under former manager Stephen Kenny. He also worked as the under-21 assistant manager to Jim Crawford. Paddy McCarthy will be assistant coach for the March period. Now the weather. RTE Radio 1 Weather with Grant. For highly efficient, sustainable home heating for your new build, choose Grant's A++ rated Aerona heat pump. Visit grant.ie. It'll be generally cloudy today with occasional rain, drizzle and patchy mist. Rain will turn more persistent in the west this evening, spreading eastwards later. Highest temperatures will be around 12 degrees. And as a warning, southwest to west winds will occasionally reach gale force 8 tonight and tomorrow morning on coastal waters from Valencia to Erisad to Fairhead. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Still to come this lunchtime, a HSE deal with St. John of God secures care services for 8,000 people with an intellectual disability. We'll have the details. The Belfast High Court rules a contentious British government bill on Troubles-era legacies is in breach of EU human rights legislation. Garda Commissioner Drew Harris admits it's nearly impossible to say how much drugs are coming into the island of Ireland. A former parliamentary assistant has admitted hacking the Twitter account of Irish MEP Luke Ming Flanagan and more than a hundred complaints to the online safety commissioner in its first week. Dreaming of a getaway this summer? Make it a reality with TUI. Choose from beach or city breaks around Europe and beyond. With hundreds of holiday packages under €600 per person and low booking deposits. Take to the skies from Dublin, Cork or Shannon. Holiday sorted. TUI. Live happy. Offer T's and C's apply. The Lotto Jackpot is an estimated €3 million. Play responsibly in store, in app, or at lottery.ie. The National Lottery. It could be you. Live line with Joe Duffy. Social media at the moment is saturated with videos of people kind of documenting the journey of dementia of their loved one. And obviously people with dementia are extremely vulnerable, couldn't possibly consent to being splashed all over the internet. I just think it's wrong on every imaginable level. I think that, you know, a person with dementia is just so very vulnerable. Uh, Any of them that I've seen anyway, it shows them kind of at their worst. Live line with Joe Duffy. Weekdays from 1.45 on RTE Radio 1 and the RTE Radio app. Hello again, you're listening to the news at 1. 
care services for 8,000 people with an intellectual disability or mental health difficulties have been secured this lunchtime after an agreement between the HSC and St. John of God Community Services on funding. Earlier this month, St. John of God said it would hand over the service to the HSE in August because of what it said was a funding shortfall. Today's announcement comes in the back of what are described as intensive discussions between both parties over the past 10 days. For more, we can talk to our social affairs correspondent, Alva Keneally. Friday before last, St. John of God Community Services, Alva, said they were handing this particular service, which caters to people in the eastern part of the country, back to the HSE because they didn't get the funding from the HSE they felt they need, uh, needed to, to operate it uh, effectively and in line with good governance. Mm. Uh, what are they saying today? Yeah, that's right. I mean, talks had been going on for a number of weeks uh, between John of God Community Services and the HSC about this funding issue. And um, they're one of the largest providers as well of uh, this kind of service uh, in the country. As you said, 8,000 children and adults dependent on them. And they've been raising these concerns for a number of years over funding. But out of the blue last Friday week, um, as negotiations were ongoing, St. John of God just announced that it was transferring all the services over to the HSE. So to be blunt about it, it essentially said we're handing the keys over to the HSC and essentially saying you run our services from August 15th because with the funding you're giving us and the deficit that we have we can't. So relations then between the two sides have clearly uh, fallen down. H- how how was this breakthrough achieved do we know? Um, so it, it, they ended up going back into talks because immediately after the announcement the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly came out he called for them to go back into negotiations. Um, also, the Minister for with Responsibility for Disabilities, Anne Rabbit, then families of service users came out, then unions came out representing staff. So the negotiations resumed about a week ago and today we have this news that um, the agreement has been reached. Now, there has been a commitment by the HSE to funding this year and there's a guaranteed time frame within which final decisions will be made about this historical deficit. There's a historical deficit of 32 5 million and there's also this annual funding they needed which was also 32.5 million so agreement has been reached on that but we don't have detail in relation to the money in all of this how much but for service users and their families like it is a good day um uh, Eilish Perryman whose son Patrick she lives in one of the St John of God community services facilities in Beaufort in Kerry and she says parents are thrilled about the news Well, I've gotten so many messages from parents and staff today. The news is absolutely brilliant for everybody, every one of us. But our concern is, will they get enough money? That's our big, big concern. Eilish Perryman, um, where does this leave the HSE in terms of of its relationship and funding arrangements with other similar organisations, Alva? Yeah, because I think um, all eyes are on this. And as I said, you know, there's been no sight of figures in this statement. And John of God Community Services, they haven't revealed them. I'm awaiting word back from the HSE. But what we do know is before negotiations broke down, an extra 20 million was offered by the HSE. And there would be other organisations who would think, um, well, that's a sizable sum and arguably the HSC has left itself open to other organisations coming forward because we know many providers across the country, they're struggling financially. Funding is a huge problem throughout the mental health and disability sectors. So I can't envisage the HSE being surprised if other providers um, come forward who are struggling and say, well, hang on, if you can come to an agreement with them, maybe you can come to an agreement 
agreement with us. But I just read a statement from Minister Roderick O'Gorman before coming on air there, and he, he seems to be aware of this issue. He does note the work that St. John of God and other providers do on behalf of the state. And then he points out in it that when it comes to disability services, there are increased levels of funding for specialist services through his department this year. Alva Khalili, Social Affairs Correspondent, thanks very much for that. The High Court in Belfast has ruled that the British government's so-called Troubles Era Legacies Act is in breach of the European Convention on Human Rights. The Act gives conditional immunity from prosecution for crimes committed during the Troubles and closes down inquests. Today's action was taken by a group of bereaved relatives and survivors. A short time ago, the Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris told the House of Commons the British government remained committed to, the, to implementing the Act. Mr Justice Colton handed down his judgment at 10.15 uh, this morning. It's a very complex case. I'm told it's, uh, the, the judgment runs to over 200 pages and I am yet uh, to see it. Um, it will take some time to consider, but we will consider uh, Mr Justice Colton's findings very, very carefully. But we do remain committed to implementing the Legacy Act. Chief Constable of the Police Service of Northern Ireland, John Boucher, said he would support the work of the new Legacy Commission, but said that victims needed to be listened to. The Legacy Bill, the nexus of it, the background of it, um, has been criticised by all the victims groups, OK, Northern Ireland. I speak to victims literally every day. Whatever we do in Legacy, we've got to do it with the support of, with the cooperation of those victims groups and those victims. And that isn't happening. That's why they've taken this legal action. So this is a really difficult space, but I think an opportunity did exist with the Stormont House Agreement. I support the work that the Commission will do from the 1st of May. If that's the only show in town, we've got to make it work. We've got to make sure that they get unfettered access to all the information they need. Let's talk to our Northern Irish Vincent Kearney now, who's been uh, going through this, uh, as we heard, 200-page uh, ruling issued this morning by the High Court in Belfast. Vincent, what are the key elements of the, the findings here? Well, the, the top line, Brian, you said, that the jump side is that um, the judge, Mr. Justice Adrian Colton, has ruled that um, immunity from prosecution provisions contained in the Legacy Act are incompatible with Articles 2 and 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights. And he said, therefore, they should be disapplied. Uh, therefore, they should not come into effect. Now, that will clearly be, be, be welcome use for relatives who took this case because they argued that the, the Legacy Act uh, was unlawful. They also said it was a breach of their rights because it would deny them the possibility of ever achieving justice. But as you've heard there, uh, uh, Brian, that Chris Heaton Harris, uh, the Northern Secretary, has made it clear that as far as the British government is concerned, it intends plowing ahead. So what does it mean then for the legislation? Well, it's due to come into effect in May. No indication yet that the British government is going to, to stall that, e even if this is a subject of further legal action, as we expect. It's likely, first of all, to go to um, the Court of Appeal, then it could end up in the, the UK Supreme Court. Of course, the Irish government is also taking legal action against the British government uh, in Europe, arguing that this legislation is indeed unlawful. But it could all be ac academic in the long run, Brian, because the Labour Party has made it clear on the record several times that if it forms an expert British government, it will repeal this legacy act because it doesn't agree with it. Um, so it's not clear yet what is going to happen. Clearly the families will hope that this might lead to a delay in the process, that it may not come into effect in May, uh, as is, uh, has been indicated by the government so far. But as you've heard from Chris Hayden Harris, they intend ploughing on at this stage. They will, they will give it, he said, um, uh, assessment, detailed assessment. They'll consider the 200 pages. Um, but they know the top line. The top line is that um, as far as the code here is concerned, 
concern. It is a breach of the European Convention on Human Rights, and the British government has given no indication that that means it's going to stall these plans. I also noticed that though the judge said that this new body, which has been set up, an independent commission for reconciliation and information recovery, the judge said that could proceed with human rights complaint investigations, uh, that, that it would be consistent with the uh, European uh, Convention on Human Rights. Indeed, he, he, he said he, he couldn't say at this stage whether or not it would not be compatible, um, so therefore it can go ahead. He also said it will have sufficient powers uh, to conduct investigations, including uh, replacing inquests, uh, replacing those civil actions. So I think the families, their elders, no doubt, will be disappointed about that aspect of it. Uh, he also, earlier in his ruling, made the point that the British government has argued that immunity from prosecution could in some way help foster reconciliation in Northern Ireland. And the judge said there's absolutely no evidence. In fact, he said the evidence is to, is to the contrary. Uh, and, and this commission is the Independent Commission for Reconciliation and Recovery of Information. So, so the judge himself said that he doesn't believe uh, that this immunity from prosecution offer uh, will indeed foster reconciliation. Northern Ireland, Vincent Kearney, thank you very much for that. The Garda Commissioner has said it's nearly impossible to say how much drugs are coming into the island of Ireland. Drew Harris also today said that the street value of cocaine has increased by around 25% in the last three to four months. The Commissioner added that Ireland is seen as a target by organised crime groups because it is considered a wealthy country. He was speaking at a cross-border policing conference on organised and serious crime in County Cavan today. We are seen to these organised crime groups as uh, a wealthy country, an affluent place, and that is shown even in terms of uh, the cocaine use that there is in Ireland. The cocaine use is proportionate to the prosperity of a nation, and, and therefore then we are a target. But we have really good people who are out to stop them, and as has been said already, to gain evidence, bring them to justice, uh, and actually break down those, those crime groups. But I think the, 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 big, the big, biggest issue now for us, in comparison even to 20 years ago, is just how international crime has got. It is big business, and unfortunately, as an island, we're seen as an affluent place and a place to target them. What I would say, um, just in respect of, of the, the drugs market, is that we know that the price of cocaine is on the increase in terms of its street value, increased maybe over 25% in the last three to four months. And that shows the value of the work happening on the island of Ireland. But also, that's what I mean about stretching out internationally. We, you know, huge seizures in the Caribbean and huge seizures also in West Africa. But we're involved in that. We have a, a liaison officer in Bogota. We have a liaison officer in Portugal. And working with that whole effort to prevent drugs moving across the North Atlantic. The main drug of choice still remains cannabis uh, and uh, followed then by cocaine. Uh, and... Um, there is obviously then uh, a network by, of distribution, and we can see in part that is driven by so, social media use and uh, things like communication apps such as WhatsApp. But I would say around drugs generally, um, they're becoming um, more prevalent and stronger as well. So cannabis in particular, in terms of the THC content, which is the actual live content of the, of the cannabis, is a good deal stronger uh, than it was 20, 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, and that THC, THC content is driving one addictive behaviour but two then real difficulty around psychotic incidents leading on to mental health problems. So there is, there is a, a real health issue around the abuse of substances uh, and 
the, the complete diversification even around the cannabis market and people are taking substances with no idea how it's been produced to what strength and there is real dangers and we've seen that where we've done in effect uh, testing of drugs retrieved at for instance electric picnic where there's been really huge variations in the strength of drugs to the point of lethal doses if we look at the work of our Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, we're focused on the main dealers. It is just they, they are, the main dealers are focused on the full array of drugs, cannabis, uh, right through cocaine, down into uh, heroin, and now into um, synthetic opioids. The Garda Commissioner Drew Harris speaking in County Cavan this morning. A man in his 30s is being questioned this lunchtime on suspicion of murdering a man in his 60s at a flat in South Dublin. The victim's body was found in his home at Herberton Park in Rialto yesterday. Detectives arrested a man this morning. Neighbours say the victim was well-known and well-liked in the area. Well, he went to help people who needed something done in their place and he'd go and he helped them out or if they were stuck in a place around here needed a help, he gave them a help. And it was, he'd never refuse anyone. You could ask him anything and he'd say he'd help you if you wanted it, if you could do it, you know what I mean? Let's talk to our crime correspondent, Paul Reynolds. Paul, what's the latest on this investigation? Well, as you heard there, Brian, Michael Whelan was very popular in this area. He'd carried out work on a number of homes here for his neighbours. He had his own company, but he hadn't been seen for some time. Concerns were raised and the Gardaí were called in. Now, they carried out a welfare check at his home here on Herbenden Park at around 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. And Michael's body was discovered in a flat in the house that had been subdivided into flats. Uh, the 64-year-old was the victim of a violent assault. He appears to have been stabbed. His body had been at the scene for some time and was removed today for a post-mortem. So the scene remains sealed off as that forensic examination continues. The Gardaí have commenced a murder investigation and this morning detectives arrested a man in his 30s who knew Michael Whelan. He was arrested on suspicion of murder. Now that suspect is being detained at a Garda station under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. He can be questioned for up to 24 hours. The Gardaí say they're following a definite line of inquiry and they're not looking for anyone else in connection with this murder at present. Paul Reynolds in Rialto, thank you for that. A former parliamentary assistant has admitted hacking the Twitter account of Irish MEP Luke Ming Flanagan. Dermot Hayes, 34, from Dublin, was convicted in a Belgian court of posting a tweet from Mr Flanagan's account that referred to Irish Green Party candidate Saoirse McHugh as skinny dipping. Our Europe correspondent Tony Connolly was at today's court hearing in Brussels. He joins us now. Tony, you might just remind us of something of the background to this case, first of all. That's right. So in September 2020, there was a tweet posted from Looping Flanagan's Twitter account in the early hours of the morning around just before 3 a.m. And it was quickly deleted, but apparently it referred to Saoirse McHugh, uh, quote unquote, skinny dipping. Um, and uh, the tweet went viral. Uh, Mr. Flanagan said he hadn't posted it and he called in the uh, security authorities at the European Parliament to investigate. They carried out an investigation and it was then handed over to the Belgian police. And the first court hearing was in September last year. Uh, the case was then postponed 
postponed until today and the, the full uh, case was heard this morning. So it, it was uh, a man called Jeremy Hayes who was uh, Luke Ming Flanagan's parliamentary assistant for about a year between 2018 and 2019. And he admitted in court that he had sent the tweet. He had uh, deleted it fairly quickly, regretted what he had done, said it was just a joke. Um, he had been upset with Mr. Flanagan because he said his contract wasn't renewed in 2019 after the European elections and, and Mr. Flanagan was returned as an MEP. Um, but the public prosecutor in the case this morning said that this was a willful attempt to humiliate and to uh, take revenge on Mr. Flanagan, that Mr. Hayes would have known exactly what he, he had done uh, and that this was malicious. And he actually called for a one-year jail term for Mr. Hayes. Mm. So the sentencing won't take place until March, but uh, a lot of fairly stark detail was, was heard in court this mm. morning. Did the judge have anything to say during the hearing? Well, the judge was uh, simply coordinating uh, events and making sure that the court could hear what was happening because both Mr. Hayes and Mr. Flanagan had interpreters with them. The, the court hearing was carried out in French, uh, but the main... Uh, accusations were leveled by Mr. Flanagan's own counsel and the public prosecutor who, uh, w was, you know, really, uh, jabbing the air at one point with his finger, uh, at Mr. Hayes saying that this was an odious attempt. He said that, um, Mr. Flanagan's honor had been thrown to the dogs in this malicious attempt to take revenge on him, uh, and that he would have known exactly the impact this would have had. Uh, and Mr. Hayes himself, uh, talked about the impact this had had uh, on his family uh, when he spoke in court uh, and that uh, this had been a trauma for everybody concerned. Uh, there was some reaction, was there, from Luke Ming, Ming Flanagan? Yes, he, he spoke to us briefly outside the court after the hearing concluded uh, and this is what he had to say. Well, I'm relieved that uh, we're finally coming to the end of this process. It's been torture for the last three and a half years. Uh, the court case uh, seems to have gone very well. Uh, they took on board all our arguments and my legal team were were excellent. And uh, it's my understanding that uh, the sentencing hearing will take place on the 25th of March. But... Uh, the good news for me is it's now quite clear uh, who did this and uh, my name has been cleared and I can get on with uh, what is a far more important job. Luke Ming Flanagan ending that report from Tony Connolly. Aid agencies are warning that famine is imminent in northern Gaza as no supplies have reached the area since January the 23rd. Humanitarian staff told the UN Security Council that at least 576,000 people are facing catastrophic levels of deprivation and starvation. The warning comes as mediators from Egypt, Qatar and the United States work to find a path to a ceasefire. We've been speaking to Channel 4 News International Editor Lindsay Hilsom who is in Jerusalem. From what we see, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is, is abysmal at the moment. The, what you have is people who are in the north in Gaza City. No aid has got there for at least a week, I think maybe even longer. And people are desperately hungry. Some of the aid agencies say that people are starving. And we saw the most um, extraordinary scenes um, in the last couple of days where there have been some airdrops of food by the Jordanians, the United Arab Emirates, I think even the French have been airdropping food. Some of it fell in the sea. 
And people were just desperately wading out to sea to try and get this food before it was spoiled. But I have to say one of the things which really strikes me, because I'm here in Israel, I'm not in, in Gaza, people in Israel are not seeing these scenes in the way that people in Ireland or elsewhere in Europe or even in America are seeing that Israeli television is not showing these kind of scenes. So I find that in Israel, people, some of people are unaware of the desperate humanitarian situation in Gaza, and some, you could say, are choosing to be unaware because they're so concerned about their own security and what they see as the, as the, as the legitimacy of this conflict. And any discussion about the humanitarian impact, well, there really is very little of that discussion here in Israel. And of course, there are still large numbers of Israelis being held hostage in Gaza. Uh, what at this stage would be your assessment of the level of support among the Israeli public for, for the war and for continuing the war with the aim, Benjamin Netanyahu says, of, of eliminating Hamas? Well, there's a lot of divisions within Israeli politics, but I think that one of the things you can say is that a large majority of Israelis are in favor of this war. They believe that they have to get rid of Hamas and that they will not be safe until that happens. Now, after that, of course, there is, then you get the nuance and the complexity. There are some Israelis who will tell you, including some in the military, that actually it's not possible to wipe out Hamas and you can't wipe them out because they are an ideology, because they are embedded amongst the population. And you, you can't just, you know, you, you can't just get rid of them by military means. And then amongst the hostage families, now, of course, the, the hostage families, 134 hostages are believed to still be in Gaza. And it's not clear how many of them are still alive. Some of them we know have, have died or been killed, um, possibly in Israeli airstrikes. We don't know how many. And one of the main um, ideas of a proposed ceasefire is that at least 40 of them should be released, the most vulnerable ones. But those hostage families, they are divided politically like other Israelis. So you have some who say we need a ceasefire now. The only way to be able to get our relatives out is through a ceasefire. And others who you would describe as more right wing saying, no, we just have to go for it. We have to keep hammering Hamas. And that is the best way of saving our hostages. Mm. In relation to this ceasefire talk, we had those remarks of President Biden the other day talking about a ceasefire perhaps as early as uh, next week, maybe even by, by Monday. Is there any indication that that could be on the cards? I think the, per the parameters of a 40-day ceasefire are there. I think it's understood what they are. And those are primarily that um, about 40 hostages, the most vulnerable women, children, uh, possibly even female soldiers, would be released. And, um, in, uh, and in exchange, about 300 Palestinian prisoners, many of those from the West Bank, would be released as well. And then that Israel would allow people in Gaza to return to the north of the Strip. At the moment, they're not allowed to do so. Um, and that much more humanitarian aid would go in. When I say much more, I mean much more. At the moment, fewer than 100 trucks a day are going in. And they say they need, in Gaza, the aid agencies say they need between three and 500 trucks a day going in. So those would be the parameters of it. Mm. But after President Biden was so optimistic, both the Israelis and Hamas poured some cold water on that, as did Qatar, who were mediating the talks and saying, basically saying, don't get ahead of yourself, because there are still quite a lot of sticking points. 
not least that Hamas would hope that this would lead to a permanent ceasefire. And the Israelis are saying that they could ceasefire for a bit, but they still intend to uh, conduct their campaign in Rafah in the south of the Strip, where more than a million Palestinians are, are sheltering at the moment. The Israelis say that they still need to conduct their campaign there to root out Hamas in the south of Gaza. And just before I let you go on that, Lindsay, the, 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 the Israeli plans to evacuate civilians from Rafah, is there, is there any clarity about w- w- what might be in contemplation there? Not really. And I think that most people who look at that cannot physically see how that happens. Because if you evacuate people to the north, up towards Khan Yunus and Gaza City, well, those areas are... At the moment, um, they are war zones. Uh, the Israeli military is still operating there, even, albeit at a slightly lower level than before. And also, where we, what are they supposed to do? Live in the rubble? I mean, there is nowhere to stay. And this one place was the west called Al-Mawasi, which is a, you know, is now a massive tented camp. And it's just absolutely full of desperate, hungry people with very little shelter. That's Lindsay Hilsom of Channel 4 News speaking to us earlier. Back with more after this short break. If you're not with Uno Energy, chances are you're paying more than you need to for your electricity. As Ireland's newest energy provider, we offer Ireland's cheapest electricity rate, saving our customers up to €500 Euro per year. So if you want to pay less for energy, simply pay a visit to unoenergy.ie and sign up for big savings with smaller bills. With Uno Energy, you just know. Uno Energy fixed discount rate EAB 1415 Euro. For T's and C's and rates, see unoenergy.ie. Suppliers pricing may change. RTE Radio 1. Kings of Leon are back. Live in Dublin. Can we please have fun? World Tour. Marley Park, Saturday, July 6th. Subject to license. With special guests, The War on Drugs. Tickets available this Friday at 9am from Ticketmaster.ie. Kings of Leon. Tickets available this Friday. Music updates on RTE Radio 1. Hello again, you're listening to the News at One. The widow of the Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, has told the European Parliament that President Vladimir Putin cannot be negotiated with. During an address to MEPs, Yulia Navalny called on the EU to target lawyers and financiers who are helping President Putin and his allies hide their money. She told the Parliament that the EU was dealing with the leader of a criminal gang. You cannot hurt Putin with another resolution or another set of sanctions. That is no different from the previous ones. You cannot defeat him by thinking he is a man of principle who has morals and rules. He is not like that. And Alexei realized that a long time ago. You are not dealing with a polit- uh, you are not dealing with a politician, but with a bloody monster. Putin is the leader of an organized criminal gang. Yulia Navalia addressing the European Parliament. Let's talk to Tommy Meskel of our political staff who's in Strasbourg and was listening to that address. The message very much from Yulia Navalia, Tommy, was that the EU has to be innovative in how it uh, deals with Putin. 
That's right, Brian, saying that sanctions so far hadn't worked. She called on the EU to target lawyers and financiers uh, to prevent Vladimir Putin and his allies from hiding, hiding Russian money. She said that her late husband, Alexei Navalny, he also had to be innovative in pointing out corruption in Russia and opposing Vladimir Putin's government. He did a lot of his work online, she said. Uh, and Yulia Navalnaya also spoke out against entering peace talks in relation to Ukraine. She said that cannot be contemplated. She said uh, Vladimir Putin is not a man that can be negotiated with. Her address is timely in that regard because all week here in the Parliament, Brian, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of discussion, debate around the need to support Ukraine more, but also for the need for Europe to bolster its defence capabilities. In fact, this morning, the Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, she addressed the Parliament too, and she said it was time for the EU to wake up, as she put it, to a growing security threat. Now, this address today in Strasbourg by uh, Yulia Navalnaya, it, it's been the, the main event of the week. She spoke about visiting Strasbourg here a number of times with her late husband and their children. Now, though, she said she found herself here alone. Uh, and back in 2021, of course, the Parliament awarded Alexei Navalny its top human rights awards, the Sakharov Prize. At the time, it was a co- uh, collected by his daughter, Daria. Mm. She, she dismissed the, the impact of resolutions in relation to all of this, but there will be be a parliament resolution on the death of Alexei Nayev uh, tomorrow. Yeah, a resolution doesn't carry too much weight. It doesn't lead to any change, but I suppose in a symbolic sense, it can mean a lot. At the moment, MEPs are um, making statements in the chamber. Uh, that vote on a resolution won't happen until tomorrow. It's not clear exactly what the wording of that will be. The group leaders here in the Parliament will have to get together to agree on one. We do have some sense, though, of what it is likely to contain the largest uh, group in the Parliament, the European People's Party, in its proposed text, it describes Alexei Navalny's death as a murder. Uh, it calls for EU action in support of Russian political prisoners uh, and oppressed civil society in Russia. Uh, and then other groups here in the Parliament, the likes of the Greens, also calling for an independent investigation into his death. Tony Meskel in Strasbourg, thank you very much for that. A new online safety contact centre operated by media regulator Commission Neman has received calls or emails from 108 people since it was launched last week. Of those contacts, seven cases have been escalated to the regulator's complaints team as potential breaches of obligations under the new set of EU online safety rules called the Digital Services Act. Let's get more from our work and technology correspondent, Brian O'Donovan. Um, Brian, a hundred, more than 100 contacts and, and this line is, this contact line is open not much more than a week. Yeah, so it's pretty new. It opened on Monday of last week, Brian, so I suppose open about a week and a half at this stage. And as you said, it's calls or emails from 108 people since it launched. Some of the calls were about broadcasting complaints, so they had to be redirected to another part of the organisation. Some of the queries were about the general workings of Commission Namian, which I guess is still a pretty new organisation for some people out there. Then some of the calls, Brian, were actually people complaining about a specific piece of content that they saw online and saying, well, I want to get this taken down. And Commission Naman had to explain to people, well, that's actually technically not what we do. The whole point of this is that they have to contact the platform in the first instance. But of those 108 contacts, seven cases were escalated to the regulator's complaints team as potential breaches of the obligation under this Digital Services Act, which is the new set of EU online safety rules. Now, because so many of the platforms have their European headquarters here in Ireland, Commissioner Man does expect
expect to be very, very busy with calls potentially from across Europe. John Evans, the Digital Services Commissioner at Comisioniman, told today's hearing of the Enterprise Committee that because of the uncertainty surrounding how many calls they were going to be getting, it was actually quite difficult to find an outside provider to run we its call centre. We had some difficulty, centre. I would say, contracting for that one because it was uncertain about what the volume of uh, complaints that we were going to get through. So we had prepared a, 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 a good number of agents at, at the centre who would be ready to take calls as of last Monday. So as it turns out, that the, uh, the volume uh, of, of, of contacts that we're getting is quite manageable at the moment. Um, uh, but as we turn up the volume, I think we, 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 we'll, start, uh, we'll start getting more. John Evans, Digital Services Commissioner with uh, Commission Naman. Um, Brian, what powers does the Commission have under this Digital Services Act? Yeah, so just to remind people of the Digital Services Act or the DSA, it's this new set of EU online safety rules and what they do is they require online platforms to do more when it comes to policing illegal content and the spread of disinformation on their platforms. Now, as I said earlier, Ireland will play a leading role in enforcing these rules because so many of the platforms have their European headquarters here in Ireland. Commission Amian is the body, the media regulator, tasked with implementing these EU rules, the DSA. Now, at today's committee hearing, the officials stressed to the Enterprise Committee that they're not an online censor, they're not an online monitor, they're not an online policeman. You can't ring them up and say, I just saw this thing on TikTok or on X or on Facebook. I'm not happy about it. I want to get it taken down. That's not how it works. Where Commission Amian comes in is enforcing the DSA. And under these rules, the platforms have obligations when it comes to members of the public contacting them and saying, I need to get this taken down. And if the platform hasn't followed the rules and if it's in breach, then you can see Commission Amian opening up an investigation. If it finds there's been a breach, it has powers. It can impose a fine, quite hefty fines, Brian, up to 6% of global turnover on these platforms, which could run into the millions or the billions. Repeated breaches by a platform could see them banned from doing business in the EU altogether. Brian O'Donovan, thanks for that. Sport on RTE Radio 1. That's good afternoon, Siobhan Madigan. Brian, thank you. The FAI have announced within the last hour that the former Republic of Ireland international defender John O'Shea is to take interim charge of the Republic's senior men's team for the upcoming friendly internationals with Belgium and Switzerland in March. More on this now from our soccer correspondent, Tony O'Donoghue. Waterford-born John O'Shea, who won 118 caps for Ireland, spent the majority of his career at Manchester United, where he won five Premier League titles, the FA Cup and the Champions League, amongst other trophies, making him one of the most decorated Irish footballers of all time. The 42-year-old also had spells at Sunderland and Reading, where he joined the coaching staff on his retirement from playing. He served as assistant to the Republic of Ireland under-21s under Jim Crawford and with the senior side last year under Stephen Kenny. He's also been a coach at Stoke City and at Birmingham City under his former teammate Wayne Rooney. He takes interim charge of Ireland for two March friendlies against Belgium and Switzerland and will be assisted by Crystal Palace coach Paddy McCarthy. The FAI have confirmed that a permanent manager will be appointed on a four-year contract in April. To Gaelic Games and for Manaman Rory Gallagher is free to return to Gaelic Games activity following the lifting of the suspension imposed on him. A temporary ban was placed upon Gallagher by the Ulster Council last September. However, that has now been overturned by the Disputes Resolution Authority. Gallagher was, of course, forced to step aside from his role as Derry Senior Football Manager last May following serious allegations regarding his private life. In golf, the European captain Suzanne Pedersen has named four vice-captains for this year's 
Masters Solheim Cup. Sweden's Anna Norqvist, Norway's Caroline Martins. They will be joined by the English pair of Laura Davies and Mel Reid for the event which will take place in Virginia in September. The latest from the opening day of Ireland's Test match with Afghanistan and Abu Dhabi. The Irish bowled Afghanistan out for just a